This episode is powered by Poddex. Poddex are unique interview questions and episode starting prompts in the palm of your hand. So whether you're a new podcaster or existing broadcaster looking to grow your audience and have more meaningful conversations, you're going to want to check out Poddex. Now, if you want to get 10% off your order right now, you can go to poddex.com and type in coupon code, what's the code? Larry21. Yes, that's the code. Check out poddex.com. Take your podcast to the next level. Welcome to the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. We dive into stories of true crime, from unsolved cold cases, to historic kidnapping, to gangsters, and beyond. We are your source for true crime. We thank you for listening. Hello, and welcome to the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. I'm your host, Larry Lace. And on today's episode, we're diving into the life and crimes of Lucky Luciano. But first, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Pondex, for sponsoring this episode. If you're a podcast host looking to grow your audience or get more engagement, come check out Pondex, pondex.com, and use the promo code Larry21 for 10% off your order. And also, Audible, if you want a free audiobook of your choice and no purchase necessary, head on over to audibletrial.com slash Larry21. And now on today's main topic. Luciano was born Salvatore, not even going to try to say his last name, on November 24th, 1897 in Sicily, Italy. His parents, Antonio and Rosalia, had four other children. Bartolomeo, KSB, Filippa, and Conchetta. Luciano's father worked in a sulfur mine in Sicily. His father was very ambitious and persistent in eventually moving to the United States. Luciano described how his father always had a new Palermo-based steamship company calendar each year and would save money for the boat trip by keeping a jar under his bed. He also mentions in his book that his father was too proud to ask for money, so instead his mother was given money in secret by Luciano's cousin named Rotolo. Although the book had largely been regarded as accurate, there are numerous problems that point to the possibility that it is, in fact, fraudulent. The book was based on conversations that Lucky supposedly had with Hollywood producer Martin Gosh in the years before his death. As the New York Times reported shortly before the book's publication, the book poet uh, quotes Lucky talking about events that occurred years after his death, repeats errors from previously published books on the mafia, and describes his participation in meetings that occurred when he was in jail. In 1906, when Lucky was eight years old, the family emigrated from Sicily to the United States. They settled in New York City in the borough of Manhattan on its lower east side, a popular destination for Italian immigrants. At age 14, Lucky dropped out of school and started a job delivering hats, earning $7 a week. However, after winning $244 in a dice game, Lucky quit his job and began earning money on the street. That same year, Lucky's parents sent him to Brooklyn Truant School. 
As a teenager, Lucky started his own gang and was a member of the old Five Points gang. Unlike other street gangs whose business was petty crime, Lucky offered protection to Jewish youngsters from Italian and Irish gangs for 10 cents per week. He was also learning the pimping trade in the years around World War I. Lucky also met uh, Mayor Lansky as teenagers when Lucky attempted to extort Lansky for protection money on his walk home from school. Lucky respected the young boy's defiant responses to his threats, and the two formed a lasting partnership. It is not clear how he earned the nickname Lucky. It may have come from surviving a severe beating and throat slashing by three men in 1929 as a result of his refusal to work for another mob boss. The nickname may also be attributed to his gambling luck or to a simple mispronunciation of his last name. From 1916 to 1936, he was arrested 25 times on charges including assault, illegal gambling, blackmail, and robbery, but spent no time in jail. It is also not clear how his surname came to be rendered Luciano. This too may have been the result of persistent misspellings by newspapers. On January 17, 1920, the 18th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution took effect and prohibition lasted until the amendment was repealed in 1933. The amendment prohibited the manufacture, sale, and transportation of alcoholic beverages. Demand for alcohol naturally continued, and the resulting black market for alcoholic beverages provided criminals with an additional source of income. By 1920, he had met many future mafia leaders, including Vito uh, Genovese and Frank Costello, his longtime friend and future business partner through the Five Points Gang. That same year, Lower Manhattan Gang boss Joe Masseria recruited Lucky as one of his gunmen. Around that same time, Luciano also and his close associates started working for a gambler, Arnold Rothstein, who immediately saw the potential windfall from prohibition and educated Lucky on running bootleg alcohol as a business. He, Castello, and uh, Genovese started their own bootlegging operation with financing from Rothstein. Rothstein served as a mentor for Lucky, among other things, taught him how to move in high society. Lucky was caught in a sting selling heroin to undercover agents. Although he saw no jail time, being outed as a drug peddler damaged his reputation among his high-class associates and customers. To salvage his reputation, he bought 200 expensive seats to the Jack Dempsey Lewis Furpo boxing match in the Bronx and distributed them to top gangsters and politicians. Rothstein then took Lucky on a shopping trip to Wanamaker's department store in Manhattan to buy expensive clothes for the fight. The strategy worked, and Lucky's reputation was saved. Lucky soon became a top aide in Joe Masseria's criminal organization. In contrast to Rothstein, Masseria was uneducated with poor manners and limited managerial skills. <clears throat> By the late 1920s, his main rival was boss Salvatore Maranzano, who had come from Sicily to run the Castilla Maurice clan. After one of Messeria's lieutenants switched sides to Maranzano, he ordered Lucky to arrange Reina's murder. After he was murdered on February 26, 1930, the rivalry escalated into the 
bloody Castella Maurice or the so-called Mustache Pete's older traditional mafia bosses who had started their criminal careers in Italy. They believed in upholding the supposed old old world mafia principles of honor, tradition, respect, and dignity. These bosses refused to work with non-Italians and were skeptical of working with non-Sicilians. Some of the most conservative bosses worked with only those men with roots in their own Sicilian village. Lucky, in contrast, was willing to work with not only Italians, but also Jewish and Irish gangsters, as long as there was money to be made. He was shocked to hear traditional Sicilian mafiosi lecture him about his dealings with close friend Costello, whom they called the Dirty Calabrian. In early 1931, Lucky decided to eliminate Masseria. The war had been going poorly for Masseria, and Lucky saw an opportunity to switch allegiance. In a secret deal with Moranzo, Lucky agreed to engineer his death in return for receiving his rackets and becoming Maranzano's second-in-command. Joe Adonis had joined the Masseria faction, and when heard about Lucky's betrayal, he approached Adonis about killing Lucky. However, Adonis instead warned Lucky about the murder plot. On April 15, 1931, Masseria was killed at a Coney Island restaurant in Brooklyn. While he played cards, Lucky allegedly excused himself to go to the bathroom, at which point gunmen reportedly Anastasia, Genovese, and Donis and Bugsy Siegel entered the restaurant. <clears throat> Ciro Terranova drove the getaway car, but legend has it he was too shaken up to drive away, had to be shoved out of the driver's seat by Siegel. With Maranzano's blessing, Lucky took over Masseria's gang, became the lieutenant, ending the war. With Masseria gone, Maranzano reorganized the Italian-American gangs in New York City into five families, headed by Lucky, Profasi, Gagliano, and Vincent Mangano and himself. Maranzano called a meeting of crime bosses, where he declared himself boss of all bosses. Maranzano also whittled down the rival family's rackets in favor of his own. Lucky appeared to accept these changes, but was merely bidding his time before removing Marizano. Although Marizano was slightly more forward-thinking than Masseria, Lucky had come to believe that Marizano was even more greedy and hidebound than Masseria had been. By September 1931, Marizano realized Luciano was a threat and hired Vincent Cole, an Irish gangster, to kill him. However, Luciz alerted Luciano that he was marked for death. On September 10th, Maranzano ordered Lucky, Genovese, and Costello to come to his office at the Helmsley building in Manhattan. Convinced that Maranzano planned to murder him, Lucky decided to act first. He sent to Maranzano's office four Jewish gangsters whose faces were unknown to Maranzano's people. They had been secured with the aid of Lansky and Siegel. Disguised as government agents, two of the gangsters had disarmed Maranzano's bodyguards. The other two, aided by Lucis, who was there to point Maranzano out, stabbed the boss multiple times before shooting him. 
the assassination was the first of what would later be fabled as the Night of the Sicilian Vespers. During the early 1930s, Lucky's crime family started taking over small-scale prostitution operations in New York City. In June 1935, New York Governor Herbert Lehman appointed Dewey, a U.S. attorney, as a special prosecutor to combat organized crime in the city. Dewey's assistant district attorney, Eunice Carter, led an investigation into prostitution racketeering that connected Lucky, the most powerful gangster in New York, to this prostitution network. Excuse me. Carter investigated the flow of money in the New York, New Jersey prostitution network, and she began to build a case of prostitution racketeering found on evidence from interviews with prostitutes and wiretaps. On February 2nd, 1936, Dewey authorized Carter to raid 200 brothels in Manhattan and Brooklyn, earning him nationwide recognition as a major gangbuster. Carter took measures to prevent police corruption from impeding the raids. She assigned 160 police officers outside of the vice squad to conduct the raids, and the officers were instructed to wait on street corners until they received their orders. Ten men and 100 women were arrested. However, unlike previous vice raids, the arrestees were not released but taken to court, where a judge set bail of $10,000, far beyond their means to pay. Carter had built trust with a number of the arrested prostitutes, prostitutes, some of whom were reported being beaten and abused by the mafia. She convinced many to testify rather than serve additional jail time. By mid-March, several defendants had implicated Lucky. Three of these prostitutes implicated Lucky as the ringleader who made collections. Lucky associate David Patillo was in charge of the prostitution ring in New York. Any money that Lucky received was from David. In late March 1936, Lucky received a tip that he was going to be arrested and fled Hot Springs, Arkansas. A New York detective in Hot Springs on a different assignment spotted Lucky and notified Dewey. On April 3rd, Lucky was arrested in Hot Springs on a criminal warrant from New York. The next day, Dewey indicted Lucky and his accomplices on 60 counts of compulsory prostitution. On April 2nd, or April 6th, excuse me, Oni Madden, one-time owner of the Cotton Club, offered a $50,000 bribe to Arkansas Attorney General Carl Bailey to facilitate Lucky's case. However, Bailey refused the bribe and immediately reported it. During World War II, the U.S. government struck a deal with the imprisoned Lucky in 1942. The Office of Naval Intelligence was concerned about German and Italian agents entering the U.S. through the New York waterfront. They also worried about sabotage in these facilities. Knowing that the Mafia controlled the waterfront, the Navy contacted Lansky about a deal with Lucky. To facilitate negotiations, Lucky was transferred to Great Meadow Correctional Facility in Comstock, New York, which was much closer to New York City. The Navy, the state of New York, and Lucky reached a deal. In exchange for a uh, commutation of a sentence, Lucky promised to complete assistance of his organization in providing intelligence to the Navy. Anastasia, a lucky ally who controlled the docks, allegedly promised no dock worker strikes during the war. In preparation for the Allied invasion of Sicily, 
Lucky allegedly provided the U.S. military with Sicilian Mafia contacts. This collaboration between the Navy and the Mafia became known as Operation Underworld. The value of Lucky's contribution to the war effort is highly debated. In 1947, the naval officer in charge of Operation Underworld discounted the value of his wartime aid. A 1954 report, ordered by now Governor Dewey, stated that Lucky provided many valuable services to naval intelligence. The enemy threat to the docks, Lucky allegedly said, was manufactured by the sinking of the SS Normandy, supposedly directed by Anastasia's brother, Anthony Anastasio. However, the official investigation of the ship's sinking found no evidence of sabotage. On February 10th, Lucky's ship sailed from Brooklyn Harbor for Italy. On February 28th, after a 17-day voyage, Lucky's ship arrived in Naples. On arrival, Lucky told reporters he would probably reside in Sicily. After Lucky's sacred trip to Cuba, he spent the rest of his life in Italy under tight police surveillance. When he arrived in uh, Genoa, on April 11, 1947, Italian police arrested him and sent him to jail in Palermo. On May 11th, a regional commission in Palermo warned Lucky to stay out of trouble and release him. In July 1949, police in Rome arrested Lucky on suspicion of involvement in the shipping of narcotics to New York. After a week in jail, police released Lucky without filing any charges. The authorities also permanently banned him from visiting Rome. On June 9th, he was questioned by Naples police on suspicion of illegally bringing in $57,000 in cash and a new American car into Italy. After 20 hours of questioning, police released Lucky without any charges. By 1957, Genovese felt strong enough to move against Lucky and his acting boss, Castello. He was aided in his move by Anastasia family underboss, Carlo Gambino. On May 2, 1957, following Genovese's orders, Vincent Giganti ambushed Castello in the lobby of the Central Park apartment building, the Majestic. Giganti called out, this is for you, Frank, and as Castello turned, shot him in the head. After firing his weapon, Gigante quickly left, thinking he had killed Castello. However, the bullet had just grazed Castello's head, and he was not seriously injured. Although Castello refused to cooperate with the police, Gigante was arrested for attempted murder. He was acquitted at trial, thanking Castello in the courtroom after the verdict. Castello was allowed to retire after conceding control of what is called today the Genovese crime family. On October 25th, 1957, Genovese and Gambino successfully arranged the murder of Anastasia, another lucky ally. The following month, Genovese called a meeting of bosses in Appalachian, New York, to approve his takeover of the Luciano family and to establish his national power. Instead, the meeting turned into a fiasco when a law enforcement conducted a raid. Over 65 high-ranking mobsters were arrested, and the mafia was subjected to publicity and numerous grand jury summonses. 
The enraged mobsters blame Genovese for the disaster, opening a window of opportunity for Genovese opponents. Luciano allegedly attended a meeting in a hotel in Palermo to discuss heroin trade as part of the French connection. After their meeting, Lucky allegedly helped pay part of $100,000 to a Puerto Rican drug dealer to falsely implicate Genovese in a drug deal. Genovese was convicted in New York of conspiracy to violate federal narcotics laws. He was sent to prison for 15 years. Genovese tried to run his crime family from prison until his death in 1969. Meanwhile, Gambino now became the most powerful man at Cosa Nostra. On January 26, 1962, Lucky Luciano died of a heart attack at Naples International Airport. He had gone to the airport to meet with American producer Martin Gosh about a film based on his life. To avoid antagonizing other Mafia members, Lucky had previously refused to authorize a film but reportedly relented after the death of his longtime lover. After the meeting, Lucky had a heart attack and died. He was unaware that Italian drug agents had followed him to the airport in anticipation of arresting him on drug smuggling charges. Three days later, 300 people attended a funeral service for Lucky in Naples. His body was conveyed along the street of Naples in a horse-drawn black hearse. With the permission of the U.S. government, Lucky's relatives took his body back to New York for burial. He was buried in St. John's Cemetery in Middle Village, Queens. More than 2,000 mourners attended his funeral. Gambino, Lucky's longtime friend, gave his eulogy. And that is all we have for this episode. Let us know your thoughts in the comment section below. And if you want to support the show, you can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash TCNS. Your support helps the channel grow, upgrade our equipment, bring in new hosts, pay them, and create even more content. And as always, thank you so much for watching and listening. We will see you next time. You have been listening to the True Crime Never Sleeps Podcast. Thank you for listening. You can follow us on Facebook at True Crime Never Sleeps Podcast and on Twitter at True Crime NS. And follow us on Instagram at True Crime Never Sleeps. Thanks for watching. If you want to support the show, buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash TCNN or become a patron at patreon.com slash True Crime Never Sleeps. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.